Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's episode is with Leela Srinivasan, and she's the CMO of Lever. Lever is a collaborative hiring platform that engages your entire company in the sourcing, vetting, and closing of top-tier talent. When everyone gets involved, interviewers, hiring managers, and C-suite, hiring can become more strategic and more effective. I'm really, really excited to have you on the show, Leela. Thank you so much, Sia. It's great to be here. Well, the pleasure is mine. And, and for those listening, I, I met, uh, I didn't actually meet Leela, but I actually um, attended a talk she was given at a um, at a client of mine, a client of mine's office here in New York City. And I heard what she was talking about and how she was approaching what truly matters in recruiting and hiring. And I thought she'd be a great guest. And her background really fascinated me because, you know, you have a very British accent, but I feel like you've you've grown up in several countries and I kind of wanted to to give you a chance to talk about your background and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. So yes, good pickup on the accent. I did grow up in Scotland, in fact, and uh, was there until after college. I moved over to the States. I've been in the States now for almost about 20 years. In fact, I've lived in Florida. I've lived in Massachusetts. I've lived in New Hampshire, New York for a little bit, California, North Carolina, went back to London for for a few months and then came back to, to the States. Um, so I wish I had lived in many countries. I've certainly traveled to a number. Uh, my dad is from India, which explains the, the last name, Srinivasan. Well pronounced, by the way. Very impressed. <laughs> I was nervous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you aced it, so no need. Um, and uh, yes, so, you know, as, as, uh, was, as you mentioned, uh, you know, today I'm the chief marketing officer at a company called Lever. We're a venture-backed startup uh, based out in San Francisco, Series B, and uh, we're helping uh, over a thousand companies all over the world to hire better. And the reason that our uh, co-founders decided to focus on hiring was when they talked to business leaders five years ago about you know what was the biggest problem that they could solve for them. Every single one said hiring because the way hiring works in today's modern age has transformed really over the last 10, 15 years. But the tools that were supported hiring hadn't changed. And this will come as no surprise to uh, your listeners, Tayo, based on, uh, you know, any, any, anyone with a pulse under the age of, you know, 40 or 50 years old, I think can appreciate how, you know, the digital transformation that we've been uh, privy to over the last several years, and there's no signs of showing, slowing down. And, you know, we see that, we feel that as consumers uh, on a daily basis in in the technology that we use at home, 
But that revolution around technology hadn't really started to hit the workplace uh, until fairly recently. And so, you know, at Lever, we're really helping companies embrace the digital age and make sure that they are using technology that helps them put their best foot forward when they're look when they're you know in conversation with uh, modern candidates when they are trying to get their entire organization to focus on um, attracting and getting into dialogue and hopefully hiring amazing people. I love that you broke that down that way because you and I are in similar fields and sometimes the conversation I do here on the topics that hiring managers and recruiters bring up is this idea that there's a there's a talent gap one and then it's hard to sort of find diverse talent. And sometimes when I'm hearing that, I'm hearing they don't, they don't know where to source from. And in your experience, you know, working with all these companies that are trying to really make an impact by tapping into non-traditional, uh, you know, hires and people from different backgrounds, various underrepresented groups, what have you seen that are best practices that work? That's such a great question. So uh, where to begin? Well, I would say, first of all, and this is something that, you know, for those of you who have been a candidate recently, I, I know how frustrating it is, and I'm really sorry. Uh, so many companies do a poor job today of running uh, an efficient and effective hiring process. Uh, and that's partly because, uh, to be honest, the average hiring manager probably hasn't had a ton of training. Uh, when, you, know, they're, they're, you know, there they are. They're trying to build out a team. They may have experience doing that. They may not. But so much of what goes wrong in the hiring process today is really about how teams are equipped and empowered and have the knowledge to know how to build a team in a way that works for their organization. So, uh, you know, an example of that, uh, and I think this gets to the, some of the, the issues that we see in diversity and, and, you know, building an inclusive workforce today. Um, the job description, the way most job descriptions are written is unwittingly biased. Uh, and, there, you know, there are companies out there today like Textio that help organizations actually screen their job descriptions to make sure they are not, for example, biasing toward one gender or the other. But uh, I think it's no secret, and the research has been done by, by many organizations, that, uh, for instance, women tend to apply to roles when they come close to matching 100% of the requirements, whereas men will apply if they match, say, 60% of the, the requirements. Hmm. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a generalization, right? It's not true for everyone. But what it means is if you look at the way that classically job descriptions are written, they're often like this laundry list of things that the candidate must have done, experience they must have, qualifications that must be on their resume. And sometimes you know, companies just unwittingly uh, end up losing part of the candidate pool who really takes that that you know that information at face value and says you know what i'm not i'm not right for that role um so that's one thing and in fact at lever one thing that we've done we i should i should say at the outset we care very deeply about diversity and inclusion um we're about 100 employees today we are 50 percent women uh, 40 percent non-white um we have more female managers than male managers and we've really tried very hard to focus on diversity and inclusion from the outset um, but uh, as part of that, we sort of threw traditional job descriptions out the window, knowing that there is this inherent bias in, in the way that many of them are written. And also realizing that job description, I mean, that, for a company, that's, that's your primary means of advertising, of marketing to your candidate, to helping them understand what it would be like to work at your organization. So instead, we came up with something called an impact description. And a core part of the impact description 
tells the candidate what they can expect to accomplish in one month on the job, three months, six months, and sometimes even 12 months in the role. And the idea is to give, you know, to, to really help candidates get a much more concrete and tangible sense of what they can expect to accomplish by joining Lever in a way that inspires them and, and doesn't uh, alienate them by making them think they must have X number of years of experience or must have a specific qualification. Oh. And oh. yeah, and the feedback we get from candidates is really positive. I think they, they like having that tangible sense of what they will actually accomplish if they are to come on board. Yeah, I can, I can, yes. see, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, I mean, giving them a mission and giving them that firm foundation of what their why would be is something that would inspire anyone. I mean, it's it basically, especially, and I know it's often tied to millennial generation, but I think any generation wants to have a mission. And just giving them that mission is something that's great. And I love that. Something you said struck me there, because I, I, I have done research on Lever and you do have about 100 employees and you have 50-50 gender balance and you said 40% people of color. Now, that is fascinating to me because you're in Silicon Valley. You're in the area where people have figured out rocket science but haven't figured out how to hire people of color. Now, I'm wondering, <laughs> as, as, as your, your company that has got your venture backed, you got, got over $33 million of funding, what is it that you do differently that they don't do, that your fellow counterparts don't do? And I'm not, I know you talked about the impact and the job description, but from your observation as someone who's had experience working with companies at LinkedIn and, and Bain and, and Co., what are the things that leaders need to start doing from the outset to make sure that you don't get into an Uber-like situation where you have all these type of problems? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, I think part of it is committing early, um, but... You know, these days people talk about diversity and inclusion in the same breath. And I think Lever's success has been based on really focusing on building an inclusive work environment. Uh, because if you don't do that, if you don't build an environment where employees of every background feel like they can belong, thrive, do their, their work, do their best work, achieve their full potential, and, you know, a place where they want to refer their friends, then if you don't, in the absence of that, if you focus on recruiting diverse candidates and they get to your organization and then they don't feel that they can belong, you're going to have a retention problem basically. Yeah. And so it becomes a, a sort of spiral of doom basically on the recruiting side. So long before I got to Lever, when Lever was about 10 employees, we founded our first diversity and inclusion task force. And I think what made it successful was it wasn't a, uh, something that was mandated by the leadership team. It was very, a very movement that sprung from team members at the time who were super passionate about uh, very intentionally creating a culture that felt inclusive and that did welcome different perspectives, different backgrounds, uh, different demographics, and so on and so forth. And so inclusion and diversity have been embedded in our culture since we were just 10 employees. And as we've scaled the organization, we've just embedded uh, thinking around inclusion into different aspects of it. So, for instance, uh, every new employee goes through a week-long rank, ramp, what we call ramp camp. And so this is like their kind of their onboarding program at Lever. It's a great program. Um, it's better than programs I've had probably anywhere else I've worked. And I've worked at some, some large companies with a lot of resources. Um, and what I like about it is it, it really does uh, infuse a lot of Lever's culture and values into our new employees as part of the process. 
So going back to, you know, we were talking about recruiting earlier and what do companies get right, get wrong. Uh, Lever, as with LinkedIn and Bain and other places, having a strong set of values uh, that employees could use to guide their actions and think about how to, how to, how to um, uphold themselves to those standards has been really important, I think, for Lever. And uh, so values are a huge part of the conversation in RampCamp. We, we cover off on, we talk to diversity and inclusion and its role in Lever's growth. Uh, we get into the founder story. We talk about design thinking, which is another huge aspect of Lever's success. And so Lever approaches everything with this design thinking mindset, which encourages you to really empathize with your uh, audience, whether it's customers, users, other members of the team and different, you know, across the aisle. Um, so empathy is something that's very rooted in our culture as well. So I'd say, you know, in, in and then what happens is so, so then you create this culture of inclusion where where we do see uh, people from all backgrounds uh, succeeding. Uh, we also were very encouraging of employees sharing their experience externally. Uh, and I think especially at small companies, it can be hard to compete with the big employer brand budgets and, uh, you know, the deep pockets of all the companies that were surrounded by in the valley. Um, but if you can just get the stories out there. Get real authentic stories from your employees, how they think about the world, why they chose Lever, why they love working at Lever, why does that culture work for them? Then these are stories that end up attracting more diverse uh, populations of candidates back in. And right. so, again, it becomes right. a sort of virtuous cycle on the flip side where if you're getting it right and if you have built an organization where people truly feel they can succeed regardless of, of their circumstances, that that in turn will attract more people who are looking for that in their career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said before, um, companies that view recruiting as a transaction are missing the point. Recruiting has always been about relationships. And to to add to the point you just made about the employer brand, if people are sharing about you know their experiences in a company and other people of color or people of different um, orientations or whatever can see themselves in these people raving about the company, they then think and believe that they have a chance at that company. And that's that then it consciously works into that uh, that cycle. Um, so I, I love that you shared that. Yep. Talk to me about LinkedIn. LinkedIn for some for someone like you, of what, what you've done, LinkedIn has obviously seen several iterations, uh, and it, it's <laughs> continued to grow and grow and grow. And the you know, acquisition is is interesting. I think you were there from the beginning stages, right? Um, so I was there when I got to LinkedIn, let me think it was, it was not the beginning. So LinkedIn had a really slow burn for the yeah, first several it was a very years. Slow burn, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was founded in 2003. So I joined, when I joined LinkedIn was already was six and a half years old. So it was beginning of, uh, 2010. Okay. Um, the company was, was about 500 employees though. So it still felt relatively small. Yeah. And, um, so I joined, I joined the talent solutions, um, group, basically or division within, within LinkedIn, which was where I sort of started this like obsession I have with talent, talent acquisition, all that good stuff. Um, and then I was there for about four and a half years. So by the time I left, um, LinkedIn was about six and a half thousand employees. Yeah. So there had definitely been some pretty significant growth <laughs> in that time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which was really, uh, it was exhilarating. It was hard work. Uh, it was inspiring. Um, I think, you know, I still have a really soft spot in my heart for LinkedIn um, today they're actually, you know, today they're preferred part. Lever's a preferred partner of the Talent Solutions uh, Group, which means that we have like a best-in-class integration with LinkedIn Recruiter, which is the flagship product in their portfolio. But um, but I think what LinkedIn did right and continues to do right um, by accounts of 
friends I have that still work there is they really, again, you know, we're coming back to the same issues, right? They focused on mission, vision, values, and culture um, early on. And they were pretty maniacal about making sure that those were reinforced at company meetings. Uh, and then in addition, I think LinkedIn as it scaled did a really nice job of prioritizing and keeping that uh, real focus on the top priorities across the organization. Because I think sometimes when you're going through that hyper growth, it's, it's easy to just feel completely lost and, uh, you know, like things are out of control and to just get lost in the, all the noise and all the, all the growth and all the things that need to be done. And if you're trying to do too many things at once, you end up not really accomplishing anything. And I do think LinkedIn was comparatively good about reinforcing OKRs and having company-wide objectives that really trickled down. And so, uh, and, and a great management team as well, even to this day. So I think there were lots of things that they did well. It's an interesting time for them, obviously, being part of Microsoft now. Um, I definitely wish the team well. And uh, again, I think they, they remain a very important force in talent acquisition. So um, almost any company that you can think of of a certain size is going to be using LinkedIn heavily as a resource as they think about reaching out to what we call passive candidates, people that aren't actually looking for a new job, but might have a conversation if you tap them on the shoulder and get them interested. Right. Yeah. And the reason why I wanted to Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Uh, to talk to you about that and ask you about that is because even though you weren't there from the beginning, is at the time at the time you came there it was still a relatively medium sized company, and then it just skyrocketed throughout your your time there. And I'm always yeah. very curious about scaling and keeping that preserving that culture because oftentimes, sometimes when companies grow from there. In my conversations when I'm consulting, they, their biggest fear is how do we preserve this? I mean, we're making so much money, profits, and they lose sense of the priorities. So I, I don't know LinkedIn personally as much as you do, but I don't know if they've, it seems like from what you're saying, they maintain that. So I'm just always curious as to anyone listening here who may be found or going through like a rapid boom and what he or she can think about as, uh, as he or she's trying to expand and scale. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, so again, you know, knowing what you stand for as an organization is yeah. vital. Yeah. 
Yeah. So for the for the entire duration of my stay at LinkedIn, we had the same set of uh, of company values. We had the same cultural tenets, and these were just they were part of the fabric. They were the the guideposts that we used to make decisions. So I think it's about, it's about equipping your team with the right decision-making frameworks uh, in the in the face, you know, in the, in, and that might come in the guise of values, for example, so that people, because as you scale, you know, what, what happens is the decision-making authority, unless you're absolutely bonkers and try and keep it all yourself, the decision-making authority gets passed down uh, to different, different ranks in the organization. And so, in order to maintain that consistency and quality, you need to provide people with the tools to make effective decisions as quickly. Otherwise, you get slowed down um, or you make poor decisions, right? Neither of those are good outcomes necessarily. Absolutely. And so, yeah, and so I think, you know, we're trying that lever here as well by having uh, five very um, very explicit values that we care deeply about and that we try and reinforce. And I think that was, that certainly my experience at, at, at LinkedIn was important. It was also important at Bain Company, I would say, where they had 10 different values which uh were used and cited frequently as uh where when people were seen doing exemplary things or on the flip side doing things that didn't really jive with the way that Bain wanted to operate yeah yeah, yeah exactly uh you said companies a lot of companies use lever now what type of companies are using lever it's so fun to, i mean i'll say i'll tell you when when i first got here about a year and a half ago uh, most of our clients were startups, and we still work with uh, hundreds of startups today. But uh, increasingly, we're moving up market and working with larger and larger organizations uh, to help them uh, really hire in a way that feels collaborative, that involves the entire organization, that helps them deliver a great candidate experience, and um, just provides them with the agility that they need to compete for talent. So today, you know, for instance, we support all hiring at Netflix. Um, oh, wow. and yeah. So, you know, and, and there are companies larger than Netflix that we work with as well. So, so really it, it, it comes down to, uh, the companies, how, how much is the company embracing that they need to get with the digital transformation and think about the future of work, think about putting, putting great tools and technologies in the hands of their employees and really valuing the, uh, the valuing agility, valuing speed, valuing, uh, people's ability to to work quickly and collaborate quickly and hiring great people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does seem like you know this intersection between globalization and digitalization is not going anywhere. So if companies don't adapt to that or actually, you know, apply what the reality of the world is to their hiring methods, they're not going to be um, successful ultimately. Yeah, totally. In fact, I was at a I was at a recruiting conference. Uh, gosh, it must be about six months ago. And one of the speakers was the talent acquisition leader from a very large company. And this individual sort of confessed that they were in the process of coming to terms with the fact that they would need to replace their core recruiting technology. And, you know, the type of the type of system that we are is called an applicant tracking system. Mm. And uh, they, they knew that they were going to have to replace it soon because they were increasingly aware of the fact that the technology that they offered employees in the workplace to recruit was so far outclassed by consumer technology. So, you know, we've all become, you know, we all carry around a really powerful computer in our, in our pocket. We're all, you know, we've grown up in the age of, of iPhones and, and really, you know, we're kind of spoiled in terms of our expectations of what technology can and should deliver. 
And you can absolutely contrast that with the average applicant tracking system. Many of these systems were invented 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And honestly, they suck. They're just not, it's not a good user experience. And what, what that results in is the team that's doing the hiring, they just kind of, they disconnect. They don't, they don't put feedback in the system. Uh, they lose that speed. They lose that agility. Uh, candidates have a poor experience when they're trying to apply because the system makes them jump through all these hoops and isn't mobile friendly and just leaves them feeling frustrated. And then, of course, they don't hear back from the company. So, you know, their application, if they can get it in, just disappears into a black hole. Right. And so all the things are wrong in, in recruiting today from a candidate perspective. It's part technology driven. It's part about the companies re you know, realizing that the onus is on them to communicate crisply and quickly with their candidates in order to deliver a strong experience. Talking here with recruiting expert and CMO of Lever, Leelers, uh, Srinivasan, and we are, we just talked on, we touched on the point that ATS or applicant tracking systems are so important and need to be updated. But the thing that I love that you, you talk about is so personal to me. First of all, you know, I've, I've gone through every sort of hiring or every experience a candidate can go through because I'm an international hero who, applied to over 85 jobs and got rejected when he first graduated from college. And I was still in the back of my thinking of, I also have to find someone to sponsor me for an H1B. And then, you know, and then I decided I was going to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what type of visa that is. And it was all this back and forth. Number one thing was this lack of responsiveness. I just didn't, I was like, just tell me where I am. I don't, I don't know, you know, just break my heart. You know, you've already done it over 80 times. I just need to know so I can get the feedback. But you're saying that if you did nothing but increase your responsiveness to all candidates through the recruiting funnel, your candidates would be doing cartwheels. Yes. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, think, I, think it's, I think it's so true. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's courtesy apart from anything else. But I, and I think that the smarter companies have cottoned onto this. And you can read case studies and work that's been done by brands like uh, Virgin and Starbucks and so forth where they – understand that there's this blurring of lines between candidate and customer. And so if you're Starbucks hiring a barista, for example, then chances are somebody applying to be a barista has probably had a couple of Starbucks or two in their life, right? They're probably a customer. And if they have a really poor experience as a candidate, that's going to sour their opinion of you as a brand. And before you know it, maybe you lose their business to Pete's or to Phil's coffee or somewhere else, right? And so, yeah. uh, you know, in this yeah. in this age of candidate and customer sort of becoming blurred, especially in B two C technologies or B two C companies, companies really can't afford to deliver a poor candidate experience because it will hurt their bottom line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. All boils down to the employer brand and uh, how the bottom line will ultimately affect it if you don't care about the things that you should care about initially. It doesn't matter how attractive your profits are seemingly. But ultimately, if your foundation is not firm in the company culture and you don't pay attention to the people that you actually um, serve, you know, it'll come back to bite you. So um, love that point. The future of applicant tracking system certainly seems to be with uh, Lever here. So I'm glad that you're, you're highlighting that. What are the future goals for Lever and what do you hope to achieve in the next five years? Wow, five years. So we've been around for five years. <laughs> oh, the 10 years is, a, is an important mark. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, um, so, and we've been growing really nicely. It's been very exciting to be part of this story so far. So, you know, we're continuing to uh, just onboard more and more clients to help them become successful at recruiting in this modern era. 
And so, you know, I anticipate we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to work with larger and larger organizations as we continue to evolve. Um, but if I think about levers overall, you know, our, our mission is around being able to, um, to scale and share hiring through effortless collaboration. So really, you know, fly, flying the flag basically for, um, for companies to be able to uh, really work, uh, have the entire team play the right role in uh, uh, identifying, attracting, engaging, and hiring talent. Um, so we'll continue to work on that. In the longer term, we have a vision uh, that every company can connect human potential to meaningful work. So, you know, in and this this was something that that drew to LinkedIn in the first place, right? Where I mean, their mission was around, um, you know, connecting professionals to make them more productive and successful and from our standpoint if you get the hiring right if you can identify human potential and talent bring them into your organization and then find ways to connect them to meaningful work then everybody wins the organization benefits by having great talent deployed in ways that will help the company be successful the individual wins because they feel fulfilled and inspired and driven to succeed and equipped to be, become their best selves. And so we really believe that if we can put uh, technology into the hands of employees or organizations that they enjoy using, that they collaborate in using first for hiring and subsequently for other aspects of the talent chain, then uh, that's going to really help companies uh, boost everything to do with their talent. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, that's that you just heard the future of Lever here. So we're getting ready to wrap up the interview. But um, I wanted to ask you some uh, fun rapid-fire questions, if that's okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you grew up in Scotland, right? Yes. Scotland, and you have Indian parents or Indian dad? Uh, Indian dad, uh, Scottish, and Polish mother. Okay. So what was it like growing up with all of those cultures? You know, I wish it had been more uh, – I wish I had more of a story there. So – uh, here's 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 your fun trivia effect. My dad left India in the '60s to move to Britain. I think partially to escape an arranged marriage, and so uh, and he'd be delighted that I told you that. I'm sure. But um, flash, I think being being an Indian fella that just showed up in London and then moved up to Scotland in the '60s, I think he was really uh, you know looking to fit in to be part of something. So he was looking for it to be included, and at the time for him, inclusion probably didn't didn't involve behaving like the quintessential Indian. Mm. And so I grew up with uh, sort of Indian, I'd say, influences on the fringes, and we certainly spent time in India as a family. Um, but I don't, uh, you know, I, I wish I had had a more Indian upbringing in some ways so that I could uh, be more in touch with that side of my culture. Gotcha, gotcha, um, but, gotcha. Uh, but I will say, I mean, Scotland was a fantastic place to grow up, and I try and get back every chance I can. Yeah, yeah. I, Scotland is somewhere I haven't been. I want to go to Edinburgh. But uh, I've always heard nice things about it, but I haven't. But you do have um, um, Andy Murray, who's the current number one tennis player yeah. in the world. And can you, for those um, listening, I, my, most of my family is British, as is with many Nigerians. But one of the number one questions I've had from um, you know my listeners whenever we have a, a British guest is to explain the difference with Great Britain, England, United Kingdom, and why in sports it's different, and Olympics is different, but for the government it's different, why you vote for something. It's, you know, there's just that UK, Wales, Northern Ireland, what does that mean? When do you say you're British? When do you say you're English? When do you say you're Scottish? Oh, gosh. That is like a, we could talk for another half hour on the intricacies of this. So, 
So, you know, the, the UK, so first of all, I'm Scottish. I, I identify with British. Uh, I, I, you know, rankle slightly when people call me English, but uh, I think most Scots and Irish folks would say that. So the UK is England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Um, and so, uh, that's, so that's the United Kingdom, basically. And then Great Britain is England, Scotland, and Wales. So it's actually the, the joined countries. So it excludes any part of Ireland. Um, and then the British Isles, it includes all of Ireland and all of England, Scotland, and Wales. So, you know, two separate land masses, basically. Wow. Um, but, of course, it's all going out the window anyway with Brexit. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? <laughs> well, that, that's my point with the Brexit thing, because then Scotland, for example, probably didn't didn't want this, but maybe Wales wanted it, then, you know, then but they make the whole decision for the whole country, and then maybe Scotland wants to be in the EU. But that can happen because they're not a separate entity, and you have to vote for that. So I, I always wonder... Yeah. You know how how that how someone that lives in Scotland feels, and if you feel like you should be a separate country or not, or maybe you think you should be stay the same. I have no idea. At this point, I am a citizen of the world. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> well, it's a very, very, very diplomatic answer, my friend. I, uh, <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's wrap up here by um, this these last couple of questions. Country with the with the best food in the world. Oh man, I'm going to say India. India, country with the best music. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not really living up to this rapid fire expectation. I want to say UK. UK. Okay. Okay. I mean, you're a citizen of the world, so it's very hard to pick. I, I completely understand. But, um, okay. The mission statement of this podcast is called Use Your Difference to Make a Difference. That's how... I live my life. It's the foundation of everything I do, whether it's cultural competency, diversity, inclusion, or leadership training. And I ask my guests this as a final question. How do you use your difference to make a difference, Lisa? My difference is, I think it's, it's my ability to connect with people and my desire to connect with people. Um, and so I sort of, I collect people over the years and I try not to let go. And of course, that's become that's become easier with time and with technology. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, you name it, have all made the world such a small place. But uh, I really try and cultivate relationships, and uh, so I hope this is not the last time that we speak. Oh no, it won't be. It won't be. I, I, <laughs> I love I love what you do, and I love your mission, and um, I, I can't wait to to share your message because I was so taken, uh, you know, by what you said that day that I felt like I had to reach out to you. So I think you're you're serving a greater purpose than a lot of people because people spend most of their lives in the workplaces. And if you can change how we hire, fire, retain, I think that's going to be a, a real revolution that you're starting. So I love that. Thank you. It's really exciting work. I'm super passionate about this space. So if anybody ever wants to talk recruiting or recruiting technology or talent, uh, please look me up on LinkedIn or hit me up on, on social media. All right. All right. And that's lever.co, right? Yep, our website's lever.co. That's right. All right, all right. I'll put that in the show notes. But I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for spending time with us. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, till next week, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.
when you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.